0: This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel provider for Communicore Weekly. Contact them and they can help you with planning all of your Disney vacations. Email Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com and tell them we sent you. Communicore
1: Weekly!
0: Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. How you doing today, George? Tired. Why? We were recording this after the time change.
1: Oh, I forgot about the time travel thing. We did lose an hour.
0: We lost, we traveled back an hour, and it really wasn't worth it. Time travel. What would you have done uh, with that extra hour had we had that hour? Sleep? Well, no, because it would have just, everything would have been adjusted okay. You know, yeah, I guess I would have slept. So you know, I tried to force myself to get up an hour early so it wouldn't screw up this week, even though it kind of did. So I think I don't you just screwed like, yourself up even more, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, but I don't want to be like the rest of the people on the internet that are complaining about losing that hour. So, you, you know, you're happy we lost that hour? yeah
1: y- yes i'm yay. confused which side of this hour issue you're landing on george you're flip-flopping back
0: and well, forth I was, right now i was born in this time period or no the, uh, during daylight savings time i mean, i'm an august baby okay so this is my natural time this is your natural habitat is, what you're is my saying. natural habitat of is time anybody
1: yet? else confused by this time conversation right now we really all know what's happening
0: timey-wimey wibbly wobbly something like that something yeah
1: all right Let's, let's go into the history segment before I get even more confused by time.
0: It's time for Disney history.
1: Ah, Dollywood, the best little theme park in Texas. Uh, 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 Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, actually. That's, that's what I meant. That's what yes. I really meant, sorry. So, Dollywood originally opened in 1986, but it has a much deeper history than that. Today, the theme park includes the 150-acre Dollywood, the 35-acre Splash Country, and the approximately 5-acre Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede. Now, later in 2015, Dollywood is slated to open the Dream More Resort, that will sit on an additional 100 acres of property. Currently, Dollywood is owned by Dolly Parton, famed country singer, and Hershen Family Entertainment, who also run uh, Silver Dollar City, Wild Adventures, Darien Lake, uh, who coincidentally is also in the name of my least favorite uh, contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: (laughs) I'm not joking, George. I'm dead serious about that. That's okay. You had to pull pull that in here somehow, so... (laughs) Okay, well, well, as Jeff mentioned, Dollywood opened in 1986, but the history of the original park goes back much further. In 1961, the Robbins brothers opened the Rebel Railroad, which had a steam train, a saloon, a general store, and a blacksmith shop. The premise for this, in quotes, tourist attraction was that people would get to ride the train, which would then come under attack by Union soldiers. Confederates on the train bravely fought off the attack and saved the day. Uh, the Robbins brothers based Rebel Railroad on their North Carolina tourist attraction called Tweetsie Railroad in Blowing Rock, which they opened in 1957. And yes, I have visited. I was just Tweetsie going Railroad. to ask
1: if you had been there before.
0: Yes, yes. Very I was nice. wearing an awesome shirt and actually said awesome on it. Really? Yes. Photos. Yes.
1: Pixar didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, they're on Facebook, actually. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's> scary. <laughs> anyway, back to Dollywood. Now There were a few other changes that happened fairly quickly. In 1970, Rebel Railroad was bought by Art Modell, who also owned the Cleveland Browns, and he actually renamed it Gold Rush Junction. Now, based on a 1970s brochure, there were a number of things you could do. There was a music hall in which you could, in, quote, enjoy the lively, wholesome kind of entertainment that delighted our ancestors when the country was being <laughs> settled, end quote. Um... You can also witness Davy Crockett and Cherokee Chief uh, Tassel sign a peach treaty, but uh, we're not sure how, unless they had the swan boat time machine technology we've been talking about. Maybe they did back then. I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: I- I'm still kind of wondering what kind of music our ancestors listened to. I don't... It I mean, w- was probably rap. What? Yeah, what was on their iPod while they were settling the country? Um, <laughs> what, every
1: time the lights go out, I like to watch TV by candlelight, <laughs> like our ancestors used to do. Just like That's the Pilgrims. That's
0: was. Wow. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's come back a little bit closer to the future. Um, In in addition at Gold Rush Junction, they had the steam train that had traveled a five mile route, but this time there was a Western style shootout instead of the civil war themed battle. And it was the same type of shootout that they had at Tweetsie railroad. Uh, You could also visit a pioneer village with again, in quotes, ancient buildings, and you could see molasses being made. Wow. Yeah. Uh, th- there was candle making, a real log home demonstration, or well, I mean, they had a log home and showed you how they built it and you could even order a home to actually be built on your property, like a real home to live in. And they had the, again, the term ancient Scottsboro station, which was converted into a shopping center, a uh, lounge and dining in the Cross Ties restaurant, well, I see what they did there, uh, Cross Ties refer- restaurant and gift shop. but. That's not all you can do at Gold
1: Rush Junction. That's right, George. Act now. And you can also include horseback riding and Headco Metal Spinning and the Tin Shop and Mountaineer Candy Kitchen. And candy was spelt with a K to lend to more of that uh, mountain credibility. Um, what else was there? There was also the Burt Vincent Nature Trail, where you can enjoy the quiet beauty of nature. And apparently that included the different trees and wildflowers, as well as bears and deer as they, quote, frolic around the spacious natural park, end quote. And after you enjoy the bears, you could visit the tin shop, the old knife shop, and the doll museum. Now, one of those is very (laughs) creepy to me. I'm not gonna (laughs) tell you which one. I'll let you guess.
0: Not the tin doll shop with knives? That made it worse. (laughs) <laughs> okay, good.
1: Okay, Thanks well. for that nightmare.
0: So Gold Rush, Gold Rush, not Rish, that's something different. Gold Rush Junction also had a log flume ride because, I mean, who wouldn't want a log flume ride? Uh, an Olympic-sized heated pool, campgrounds, and some amusement park rides, you know, like the, the flat rides, like the Scrambler, the Tilt-A-Whirl. They had the little mini helicopters you could ride in, uh, Ferris wheel, and a carousel. And it was spelled with one R, Rory, because I know you are going to ask. Um, in 1976, Jack and Pete Hershen stepped in and bought Gold Rush Junction. They named it Gold Rush. Clever! Uh, Original. We'll save money on the signage and the letterhead. Uh, In 1976 they renamed it Silver Dollar City, Tennessee which was a sister park to their Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. The Hershon family owned the Marvel Cave in Branson and they added a cable train to the cave in 1958 which then doubled the attendance of the park in Branson. But like our friend uh, Cordelia and Walter Knott, they erected a frontier town around the area and it became silver dollar city but of course that's a subject for another history segment altogether.
1: (laughs) so silver dollar city retained a lot of the gold rush junction and they added a lot more amusement park style rides over the years uh they had the silver dollar saloon show the rainmaker show which does not mean what it means today if you know what you know make make, okay anyway (laughs) so and they also had the silver dollar Uh, City Railroad which had a stop halfway through the ride Um, and there were some pretty big attractions at the park Uh, the log flume was still there and they added the inventor's mansion in which rooms were tilted uh, sideways and water ran uphill and the candy kitchen still spelt with a K was now owned by grandma and they had a craftsman
0: valley to explore who's grandma? (laughs) just any grandma? grandma. yeah just any it's grandma's kitchen candy kitchen as long as she's got the K's um, the, the the Craftsman Valley had gunsmithing, glass blowing, wood carving, leather making, doll making, sand casting, knife making, whew, and other crafts. That was, <laughs> that was a lot of stuff. Yeah, there was also the Blazing Fury ride, which unfortunately had nothing to do with the Mel Brooks film of a similar title. You ride kind of different. on blazing furies. <laughs> yep. uh, so so Blazing Fury, it, it took you on a trip through a burning mine town, and you could even ride an ore barge through the eerie flooded mine. I kind of had to say it like that, yeah. There was the 180 foot, 82 foot tall Cloud Grabber, uh, which sort of took you up like a parachute drop, but it was a much bigger. Uh, it gave you a bird's eye view of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, there was a Red Baron ride, not the Snoopy or Pizza Delivery Service. Man, I know, I know, I know. And there was a uh, Malfunction Junction, which was a em car type ride. And then the Mountain Swinger, which is just a 40-foot-tall swing ride. (laughs) I know. We got to keep it. Uh, There were a lot of other flat rides in the park's fun city section, uh, but this is just a 25-minute podcast. Or so we we hope. (laughs) If we're lucky. If we're lucky. So in
1: 1986, Dolly Parton became a co-owner along with the Hershins, and the park was renamed Dollywood. Now, in the almost 20 years since it's been known as Dollywood, the park has actually doubled in size and became the largest employer in that area. The park currently has 10 areas with a heavy focus on entertainment and theater-type attractions. Um, The railroad actually still remains and is the only attraction from the Rebel Railroad days in 1961. The track was shortened from 5 miles to 2.5 miles. And various engines have been used over the years, but it's still a coal-driven railroad burning as much as 5 tons of coal a day.
0: Yeah, as, as Jeff mentioned, Dollywood is known more for its shows than attractions, but that's been changing over the years with the additions of some top-notch rides. There's the Smoky Mountain River Rampage water rafting, which I will not ride since I don't like getting wet. Uh, the Tor- Tennessee Tornado Coaster, Blazing Fury Coaster, Daredevil Falls, <laughs> Daredevil Falls Flume Ride, the Mystery Mine Coaster, the Thunderhead Coaster, the Barnstormer, the River Battle Raft Ride, the Wild eagle coaster and the very impressive dual launch family coaster called the fire chaser express now dollywood actually paid homage to
1: the appalachian area in history There's a Tennessee Mountain home, a replica of Dolly's home when she was a child, apparently, Um, a schoolhouse, a gristmill, a chapel, and uh, Chasing Rainbows, which is the Dolly Parton Museum. Now, with a one day ticket to Dollywood coming in at only $59 for adults and $47 for children, it's really a fantastic value when a certain Orlando theme park is going to uh, cost you close to $100 per person for a day. And, you know, we hope you enjoyed this quick look at Dollywood, and maybe we've inspired you. You to make a trek if you're close by. Um, you know, from what I've read online, what we both read, Dollywood is about to sink another $300 million uh, to create the 300-room Dreammore Resort and Park expansion. So it should be pretty great. And I know our buddy Adam the Woo loves it because when he was there, he actually bought an annual pass for it, and he was there like
0: 17 times during his time in that area. Wow, yeah, that's right. I've seen some of those videos, so I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to, to visit in the near future, and I know we'll have a trip report, but we'd love to know what you think about Dollywood. Did you get a chance to visit Dollywood or any of the earlier incarnations like the Gold Rush Junction? Give us a call on the Communicore Goat Line, Communicore Weekly Goat Line, and tell us all about it. Call us at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. He's a, he's a
1: nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his
0: speech, ah! it's George's Book of the Week. So this week's book is going for the record for the longest book title that's been featured on CommuniCore Weekly, and that book title is Walt Disney Animation Studios Artist Showcase Present No Slurping, No Burping, A Tale of Table Manners by Carol LaRue and Laurelay Bove. Okay, let me take a breath here. Um, Do you need me to <laughs> so, take a break so we can take a minute? Yeah. So we can get on to it. No, yeah. uh, this is actually what we would call in the library profession a picture book, or it's a children's book, probably gay, a, uh, geared for a pre-K through second grade. But let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, Kara is a children's author who's written quite a few titles to her name, but no real connection to Disney. Laura Lay is a visual development artist at Walt Disney Feature Animation and she's worked on Big Hero 6, Wreck-It Ralph, Tangled, and quite a few shorts. She graduated, uh, animated shorts, not like shorts you buy in the store. Um, she did graduate from Cal Arts and interned at Pixar before working at Walt Disney Feature Animation, where she is now. Um, as the full title implies, <laughs> with Walt Disney Animation Studios Artist Showcase, this is a new series from Disney, and it's actually the brainchild of John Lasseter. He wanted a way of having the uh, the animation and publishing arms work together to create uh, a spot or space for visual artists and storytellers to present uh, original ideas and original art. And right now, the plan is to release books under the Walt Disney Feature Animation Artist Showcase and the Pixar Animation Artist Showcase, you know, depending on the artist's affiliation. So we'll see some different works coming out like this. No Slurping, No Burping, A Tale of Table Manners is, as I mentioned, a picture book that's geared towards children in pre-K through second grade. It's a book that parents or caregivers can read to their children or a young reader could read on their own. In the book, we meet the two young siblings, Evie and Simon, and the two children are known for minding their manners, but when they sit down uh, with their father for dinner, they find his manners are atrocious. They eat dinner each day together of the week, and the children have to correct a different problem each night. Eventually, their father feels better about his manners, but there is a surprise guest on Friday night. Dun dun dun! Okay, so what we're really looking at this book, though, is the artwork. It is. Gorgeous. Lorelei is a fantastic artist and it's very reminiscent, um, her artwork, of sort of like a modern take on the Little Golden Books mixed with a little bit of Mary Blair's later style. Uh, each page has full color art and is very eye popping and inviting. You know, the text, while not monumental or really expected to be, it's appropriate for the audience, and it does teach several lessons, while also reinforcing the days of the week, which you know Jeff and I have to work on. Uh, it reminded Tuesday, me of Wednesday, 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 Saturday. Oh man. Oh. See, we have to read the book one more time. Okay, so the book reminded me a lot of what you would expect in an animated short, especially with the father being the buffoon and the children having to correct their father. I've seen a few reviewers take offense with the portrayal of the father in the book, but if you're a dad reading this book with your kids, uh, you've got a great opportunity to really ham it up and act it up. So besides little kids, who's really gonna like this book? Obviously, obviously fans of animation and artists are going to enjoy it. I, I really can't stress Uh, enough. How much I like the philosophy behind this series and what Disney is trying to do. By giving their animators and storytellers the opportunity to stretch their wings, uh, they're really affording them the opportunity to try new things and and gain the confidence to work on larger projects. It's really very similar to the Pixar tradition of letting animators work on a short series or an animated short before being given the reins to direct or work on a feature. You know, it's, it's also a great record of artist's work. Uh, I can imagine in 30 30 to 40 years fans and students of animation are going to cherish this work by Miss Beauvais. I mean, can you imagine having a children's book done by Mark Davis or Ward Kimball? I mean, that would be crazy. That'd be insane. Yeah, Wooly Reitherman. It'd all be about wooly elephants or wooly mammoths. Uh, Not quite. Anyway, so even though the book may not portray parent-child relationships the way you want to, it's still a gorgeous book that's really fun to read together. Uh, The artwork is top-notch and offers the future uh, of this series. I think it's really going to be groundbreaking and very visually important that that we have these books. And this week's book is No Slurping, No Burping, A Tale of Table Manners. Here's another minute that you can't get back, it's the 60-second review.
1: Sometimes we receive Blu-rays to review, and we initially think, I guess I'm going to have to take one for the team on this one and watch it and review it. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I kind of thought that for this one, Um, but pleasantly surprised, I actually quite enjoyed it. So I, I actually watched Tinkerbell and The Legend of the Never Beast. Now... I think I talked about this before, I had seen some of the previous Tinkerbell films, uh, some, not all of them, and some were okay, some were not okay, um, and this one actually falls into the pretty, pretty good spectrum, to be honest with you, um, but don't let the name fool you. Uh, it's actually not a Tinkerbell movie. Tink is more of a sideline presence. Uh, this film it is actually all about Fawn, the animal fairy, and she, she takes center stage along with Gruff, the big furry uh, never beast that has just come into hibernation and the title character uh, in the title. Um, so this shift of the character, to me, allows him to kind of expand the world of Pixie Hollow rather than just recycling mm-hmm. the same Tinkerbell stories over and over again. So it was actually a pleasant surprise. And on top of that, the movie overall was kind of action-packed. You know, as far as our cartoon that's aimed at girls 5 to 10 years old go, it was filled with a bunch of action. Um, <laughs> there was this interesting, <laughs> intensifying conflict between Fawn and... And Nyx, one of the other uh, pixies. And it was just, it was interesting, especially in a kids' film, and it kept me watching and engaged. And, you know, to be honest with you, it could have been a lot worse, it could have been better. Uh, maybe with a little more polish, but seeing as how each Tinkerbell movie I have seen has been generally improved upon the last, you know, all signs point that more worthwhile films will be coming in the future as well. But uh, as to how it looks, it's a bit more refined than the usual Disney Toon Studios production. Uh, you know, this one kind of represents another incremental improvement in the line of direct-to-video films, you know, more dynamic animation, uh, smarter scripts, and kind of more endearing characters, so I have to definitely give them credit for that. There are a handful of extras on the disc. They're kind of, yeah, you know, they're okay. Uh, one of them was the five essential ingredients to getting gruff, which the director of the film, uh, Steve Loader, and other members of the team, you know, they quickly break down the gruff character. Um, and then there's a one called My Dad's Movie, which uh, Loder's daughter, Kalista, uh, she actually talks about the origin and the inspiration of the film uh, with her dad. And then there's Jeff Corwin's Real uh, Guides to Real World Never Beast where the conservationist Jeff Corwin he just talks about some real life creatures that are Never Beast quote unquote A handful of deleted scenes uh, tinkin about animals which is a clever <laughs> title I thought but they sing an animal song and there is an extended Never Beast promo but that's about it. But I mean overall granted I know we are not the target audience for this film but if you have a daughter anywhere between the ages of 5 to 10 maybe even 13. I think they would enjoy this film very much. It's cute. It had some very good parts. Again, pretty action-y for a, a kids film, especially in, in that age range. But uh I liked it and I might have to force George to watch it once. Just well, But there's no there's no Peter Pan reference? There is uh not that I remember actually. Oh, that's too bad. I mean I mean, okay. they kind of stray away from all the Peter Pan stuff in the Chinkerbell movies. They're trying to make her her own thing, which I get. They're trying to make her her own strong sure. female lead. And it's working. I will totally give them that. So good for okay. them. So, again, if you have a, a young daughter, definitely check this film out.
0: You don't know what you know till we know you. You. Know. you just don't know. There's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. So Jeff, did you ever hear the one about the family that spent one solid year camping in the Fort Wilderness campgrounds? I have not, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. (laughs) Well, back in 1975, Mr. and Mrs. Ted Lowry celebrated 365 days as guests at the Fort Wilderness, and it was on Friday, October 10th. Uh, The cast members there threw an anniversary party, which included one-year pins and a cake. So, uh, Mr. Lowry was a medical textbook salesman, and he began bringing his family and friends to Fort Wilderness when it first opened, and he'd been going ever since that time. They always requested the same campsite and pulled in their 31-foot Airstream trailer whenever they visited the area. Uh, And Miss Lowry usually had a cake or some other surprise for the hosts and hostesses who dropped by to say hello. And now I'm pretty sure they won't let you stay more than like 28 days in a row.
1: Yeah, otherwise that becomes like, you know, you're a resident like a and you permanent can Permanent right?
0: residence. So, yeah, you got it. So, now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
1: <laughs> when you're in Disneyland, if you head over to Mickey's house in Toontown, you'll see that the mouse has a piano. But... This is not one of those neural pianos that anyone can sit down and start playing. It's a player piano, with you know, one of those ones that plays on its own using the magic uh, music hidden inside of it. Or you could just say a ghost is playing it. I don't care. Either way. <laughs> so if you're actually looking at the music sheet that, that it's playing, they're all shaped like Mickey heads, except for one. Hidden off on the left-hand side is a Donald Duck head hidden amongst all the Mickeys, and that's probably the note that sounds the worst. <laughs> That's
0: sneaky duck it's not, I mean I it's swear. not a knock at Donald it's just how it is it's just of course it is so wow okay well uh, it's time for this week's prize winner announcement in the year of a million or so limited time cadets I'm so glad you got that correct I know I know I almost stumbled I tried I tried uh, as a reminder you two can join this contest it's going uh, until the end of season four just send us an email at communitycoreweekly gmail.com with your name your address and At least your birthday, like month and day, because we're sending out some special stuff. But this week's prize is a Harry Expedition Everest messenger bag. Which you can use at your favorite full-day park. As a full-day bag? Yes. I guess? Okay. All right, so this this Harry Expedition Everest messenger bag is going to Peyton H. from Corvallis, oregon hooray Yay! so congratulations peyton you should look for that in the next couple of days and you know send us a message or uh, post a photo of you with your bag on expedition everest
1: also thank you to sharia of oh, yes. fairy godmother travel for providing this week's prize
0: yes yeah i forgot because fairy godmother travel is awesome Yay. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of CommuniCore Weekly.
1: Please leave us a comment wherever you watch it. iTunes or on YouTube, wherever.
0: Leave us a comment. <laughs> and email us at CommuniCoreWeekly at gmail.com so you can enter the year of a million or so limited time cadets. Or just say, hey, what's up? You actually said that fairly quickly, and I'm surprised you got it completely correct. I did. I did. You're because getting better. The- United Kingdom uninterrupted phone book Disney you're still not getting that trappings. one right no that was
1: too hard that was too hard anyway okay. like us on the Facebook at facebook.com
0: slash communicor weekly yep. follow us on other forms of social media like Twitter and Instagram I'm at imagine Nerdy. he's at Jeff Heimbach and of course give us a call on
1: the communicor weekly goat line at 424-785-4628
0: visit communicoreweekly.com and click on the communa store link and you can pick up awesome t-shirts, and a copy of CommuniCore Weekly, the musical.
1: And of course, to obtain your official CommuniCore Cadet membership card, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to CommuniCore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange,
0: California, 92856. And we do have some special things happening over on our Patreon page. We just released an unreleased demo for the Five-Legged Goat theme song. Wow, it was an unreleased demo of a demo. That's pretty good. Yes, that's basically
1: what it was. And actually, I totally forgot that this song existed
0: until I was in
1: the car and I heard it playing on my iPod. I'm like, oh, I forgot we had this original version.
0: Yeah, so if you want to get some of these insights and some of these little extras, visit patreon.com slash weekly. So, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George
1: Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.
0: Love Goldfishes.